Come on, church. It is worth every inch of the journey on the count of three. Welcome all of our campus locations. One, two, three. We welcome you guys at all of our locations. Gotta tell you, I am really, really fired up about grit. I know I've said that. Uh, starts a week from today. Now listen to me, please, please, please. Next Sunday, the time changes. Did you know this? Actually, it changes on Saturday night at midnight, right? Now, that, that in the spring impacts us as a church because you what? You spring forward and you fall back. Now, when you spring forward, if you typically get up at 9 o'clock on a Sunday, it's 10 o'clock. So I can understand how that would impact us a little bit. But next weekend, if you typically get up at 9 o'clock and you're falling back, that means you're going to get up at 8 o'clock. And so there is no reason, I'm just saying, there is no reason under the sun for that to impact the kickoff, the launch of this grit series. Amen? Amen. I'm so glad you're here. If you're a guest, my name is Benji. I am uh, so honored and and humbled and grateful to uh, serve this church with a lot of other awesome pastors and staff members, and we just spread wide our arms, and in the name of Christ, we welcome you to this church. Amen, church? Hey, so um, uh, many years ago, um, we had this thing go down with a vehicle that my family had. Um, I I don't know about those of you who have kids, um, but how many of you who have kids, you went ahead and bit the bullet one day and you got a minivan? Minivan, where are my minivan people? (laughs) Now, the women are excited, yeah, minivan. You just need to know, the guys, man, minivans are like, I mean, it's hard to make a minivan cool. But I'm just letting you know, we rocked it. We rocked it. We, we had a, a Honda Odyssey. And uh, we were rocking the, I mean, I'm not Amy, but me. Like, I mean, we get the seats down low, man, the windows down. We'd be, we be thumping in the Odyssey, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, that's just how I roll. And so, but, but I don't know if you're like this either, but, like, we keep cars a long time. Um, we, I just believe that if you do regular maintenance and you keep a car, the only way to really get your value out of the car, because they're so daggum expensive, is to keep them a long time. Now, you might be thinking when I say long time, yeah, five years. No, 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 no. Let me tell you something about this Honda Odyssey we drove for 21 years. 21 years. We had 280,000 of those miles rocking the Honda Odyssey down the road. Well, at about year 18, um, the catalytic converter on the Honda Odyssey went out. Now, some of you, you don't know what a catalytic converter is, which is okay. I, I get it. But in 1975, the government created this little device that goes up under your vehicle, and it takes the exhaust, and it converts it, thus called a catalytic converter. It converts it, and uh, the emissions, if you will, are not so harmful for the environment. So at about year 17 or 18, the catalytic converter started going bad on our car. Now, when I say bad, let's see how I can describe this to you. Picture a race car going around the track at NASCAR. Like when we would drive the minivan, when it changed gears, it was so bad, it's so bad. Listen, my kids, my kids were embarrassed to ride up to the school 
in the gray 19-year-old Honda Odyssey. My kids would, would work on trying to convince us not to drop them off in the regular kiss-and-go lane, parents. You know what I'm saying? The kiss-and-go. And they would want us to break the law, the school law, and go drop them off in the teacher parking lot. So their friends <laughs> didn't have to see them pull up in an Odyssey. Now, now, would you think less of me as a dad if I told you in some deep, sick way, I loved the fact that it embarrassed my kids. I, yeah, listen, our kids, your kids too, we are all spoiled up in America. Can I just call a spade a spade? I mean, like, we are spoiled rotten in America. And so we have first world problems. And so, like, I loved driving up to the school in the kiss and go lane and watching my kids squirm about this catalytic converter. Well, anyway, um, year after year, we would get to that point where you got to get an inspection on your car. Who hates those? Me. Good Lord, they come around fast. So we had to get an inspection on the car, and I just knew it wasn't going to pass. Um, but I know this great mechanic at our Sanford campus, Dave and Rita Taylor. And Dave, Dave owns this incredible shop over there. And so Dave said, hey, just bring, bring the van to Sanford. And so I'd take the van to Sanford, and, and Dave would hook it up to the machine. He would turn a few knobs, and boom, lo and behold, it would pass inspection. Now, I don't know, I don't, he didn't wink at me, <laughs> but there was a wink up in there somewhere. Year two rolled around, the, the second year of the bad catalytic converter, same thing. I said, Dave, it's that time of year. He goes, bring it on to Sanford. Where do you think I took my van for inspection? Sanford. Year three, same thing. I think it was about year four. I called Dave and he goes, yeah, man, bring it on, but check it out, I, I'm, I'm on vacation. I said, no problem. I go, what do, you, what do you want me to do, leave it at the shop? He goes, no, nah, the gate's locked. He goes, why don't you just go and park it at the church, at the New Hope Sanford campus parking lot? And I'll get it when I come back from vacation. Deal, done. Took the van to Sanford, parked it in the parking lot of our Sanford campus. And uh, it was on a Sunday, went down after church. Sunday night, some thieves. I didn't even know there was a black market for catalytic converters. I really didn't. But like the reason you might wonder, why did you keep putting it off? Because that catalytic converter costs $2,500 to replace. So what would you do? <laughs> or would you get it replaced? I chose, <laughs> took it down to Sanford, parked it. Well, lo and behold, that night, some thieves went into the parking lot of New Hope Sanford with a saw and sawed off, got up under the car and sawed off the catalytic converter. I wish y'all could look at your faces right now. So many of you are like, <laughs> sold off the catalytic converter thinking they were gonna go sell it on the black market, I guess for thousands of dollars. <laughs> Doesn't make you do the happy dance. And uh, I, I, this is just where the story gets really good. And so they stole it. We found out about it. Dave said, hey, pastor, your insurance will probably cover that. We called our insurance company the next day, i.e. USAA. Hey, I'm a poet, and I didn't even know it. And, 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 and they cut us a check for $2,500 minus a $250 deductible. 
we got a brand new uh, catalytic converter and some thief got a bad one. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Favor ain't fair. Favor ain't fair right there. And I just lo I love, love, love the thought that they thought they were getting a great catalytic converter. And in the process, God gave us a brand new catalytic converter. Now, all joking aside, have you ever, <laughs> come on back. Have you ever, have you ever felt like you were holding something valuable like the thieves only to discover that it was utterly worthless? Let me flip the question. Conversely so, have you ever thought something was worthless only to find out that it had immense value? When I talk to you about value, I'm actually talking about this thing called identity. What is it, church? Identity. Identity. And the truth is, there are many people here today or at our campus or online, and the truth is, somewhere along the road, you had somebody convince you, maybe it was a parent, an aunt, an uncle, a friend, maybe, Lord forbid, it was a pastor. And somewhere along the way, you started to believe the lies, the lies that you are not valuable, the lies that you are worthless, and what I stop by today just to do my best to try to remind you of is that God says that every single person within the sound of my voice and every single person on planet earth right now and every single person who will ever be on planet earth has immense intrinsic value given to them by almighty God. And so I want to just talk about that a little bit with you today. I don't know if you realize this or not, but, but companies put a price tag on you. Companies, companies conclude, they research you, and they know that if they can get you to become a lifetime customer, they know how much you're worth. For example, Coca-Cola has researched you. And Coca-Cola has convinced themselves, and I believe it to be true, that if they earn your business for a lifetime, you are worth about $6,000 to them. How many Coke drinkers do we have? Coke drinkers? How many Pepsi drinkers? How many people don't touch the junk? <laughs> Amen, praise God. <laughs> Chevrolet. Chevrolet has done research on you and me. And Chevrolet has concluded that if they earn your business for a lifetime, you are worth about $275,000 to Chevrolet. Computer companies, sophisticated computer companies have concluded that if they earn your business for a lifetime, you are worth about $45,000 to them. I want to let you know that I've consulted with your maker. And God has said there is not enough zeros behind any number to capture your value and your worth. But again, the problem is so many of us start to believe the lies that we have been given. First Peter, read this verse of scripture with me if you want. Verses 18 and 19 out loud, really strong, ready, go. For you know 
that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were from the empty way of life, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You need to, you need to put that verse to memory. Go back to that first part, if you will, guys. For you know that it was not with what? Perishable things, such as what? Silver or gold, catalytic converters, Cokes, Chevrolets, computers. It was not with any of that stuff that God redeemed your empty way of life. But God has declared, everybody say, but God. But God has declared that you are worth the precious blood of Christ. One of the hardest things for me to do as a communicator, as a pastor, especially, especially when I start talking about a subject like this, is to capture and articulate God's love for you. And I know, I know, most of you, you've heard that, right? You've been there, you bought the t-shirt. And so when I say that, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 like I, I've been praying. I've been praying for you all night. I didn't sleep well last night. And I think it's because this message has just been so heavy on my heart. I've been praying that every single one of you would walk away from a campus today and you would, you would have the scales of your eyes removed. You'd have your heart softened and you would realize afresh and anew how much God loves you. Because here's the problem. When it comes to identity, here's the problem. When it comes to identity, we tend to think, we tend to believe the lies that people share with us, and we tend to believe, come on, baby, boom. We tend to believe that we are a failure. We find ourselves convinced along the way. Maybe you grew up with a hardcore parent that you never could measure up. You know what I mean? Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it's a boss. And regardless of how hard you try, you just tend to think, I'm a failure. And when you believe that lie, it starts to chip away at your identity. Or maybe you're here, and that's, that's not that big of a deal for you, but maybe you're here, and the truth is, Yours is not about failure, but yours is about guilt. You grew up in a, in a home, or I'll tell, you, tell you who's guilty about this. You know who's most guilty about loading guilt on you? Pastors in the church and deacons and elders and in the traditional church, the religious people. You, you know who did it in the Bible? The Pharisees. They had laws after, they had hundreds of laws. They didn't just have the Ten Commandments. They had hundreds and hundreds of laws such that everybody walking around when Jesus came along, they were weighted down with this load of guilt. And maybe you're here today and that's your story. You just can't shake it. For whatever reason, you go to bed at night and you just feel guilty. This is a big one. Or maybe you're here, and the truth is, neither one of those is the deal for you. But the truth is, what you struggle with the most is this whole idea of being worthless. 
somewhere along the way, a message sunk deep into your heart. And you, for the life of yourself, can't grasp, can't identify, can't live into the fact that you are a child of God who is loved and that you are not worthless, but First Peter, right? We just read it. You're so worthy, you're so precious to the creator of the universe that he sent his one and only son, a lamb without blemish, to cover you so that you could stare these lies in the face and say, get thee behind me, Satan. I'm done believing the lie. You see, the, this is the work of Satan. I don't know if, you, I don't know if you, you, you realize that or not. I don't even know. Maybe some of you might not even believe in Satan. But let me tell you something. Look at the world. And Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. He is real. And the way the Bible captures him in the beginning, you can turn there if you want, Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, as ancient Israel was looking back on the beginning of humanity, they, they, they shared the story, if you will, of an Adam and an Eve in the garden. If you know your, your Bibles, God created Adam and Eve, and they're in the garden, and it's paradise, remember? And God says, you can eat from any tree in the garden, just don't touch that one in the middle. And I don't know if you remember the story or not, but Satan comes along. And the first thing Satan does is he tells a lie. Did God really say you should not eat from that tree? Pick it up, if you will, in Genesis 3, verse 6. Come on, you read the first one so well together. Let's read this together. Go. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And from that moment forward, in the biblical narrative, Satan has been the author of lies. And he slithers on planet earth and he convinces you. And often, if I'm not careful, he will convince me that in some way, shape, or form, I'm just a failure. I'm guilty, dead in my sin. And at the end of the day, I'm not really worth that much. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus comes along. One of his primary missions, the ultimate mission was to save us. Can I get an amen? amen? But one of his primary missions above and beyond that was to identify these lies that Satan had been convincing humanity of. And if you look at John's gospel, John chapter 10, feel free to turn there if you would like. But in John chapter 10, Jesus calls Satan's bluff. Jesus starts to speak to all of the religious people and those who were not into the religion of the day. He started to speak to them and, and articulate who and what Satan was and who and what Satan was up to. And the Bible says this in John 10, 10, verse A. 
10 verse A, or part A, says this, the thief, the thief does what, church? Comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Great job, by the way, one more time. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And what I've realized over the years is that Satan has certain pawns in his great scheme. In other words, he uses people to kill and to steal and to destroy your true God-given identity. And unfortunately, some of us fall for it. And sometimes they come from your bloodline. Sometimes they come from friends. Sometimes they come from colleagues in the workplace. Sometimes they come from deep, dark places in our own souls where, where we tell ourselves certain lies. And sometimes they come from the church and from pastors. And one of the things I've done over the years, and those of you who've been with me a long time, you know that I, I've done this quite a few times, is I'll, I'll just circle up for a family huddle, and I'll look at you, and I'll say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if some pastor or some church or some religious committee or some family member, that was my story, right? Some family member, some friend spoke these words over your life and lied to you. And you started to believe the lies. And I look at you and I just say, I'm sorry. It's not true. It's a lie straight from the pits of hell. And today I want to do more than say it. We want to sing it over you. So at all of our campuses, a worship pastor is going to come on the stage and we're going to actually sing a song over you. You, you can just stay seated. And the song is titled, interestingly enough, what we've themed this whole day. The song is titled, Explaining Jesus. One of the most powerful songs I've ever heard. It's confessional. It's apologetic. It's me doing my very best today to let you know if someone has spoken these words over you, particularly a pastor, and loaded on you this idea that you're never going to be good enough or loaded on you this idea that you're just playing this religious game and you're just trying to climb up this religious totem pole and yet you can never actually arrive. You can never actually get where you feel good enough or you, you feel that you're worthless. You're worthless because of maybe your skin color. You're worthless because of maybe your pedigree. You're worthless because of maybe your earning power or where you work, or where you went to school, or where you didn't go to school, or whether you've had a divorce, or based on your sexual orientation. 
Whatever the case may be, someone's convinced you of these things. And I just want to say, I'm sorry. It's not true. And I pray that this song will minister to you right where you are. And I pray that you'll leave today more secure, more free, more hopeful as a result of who God says you are and not some person or some institution or some government. Just sit and marinate in this moment. You've been raised a southern bell, born and bred for show and tell, but you lie down feeling never good enough If you're gay and over 85 and you felt for your whole life that when God made you, he just messed up I'm so sorry for how it's been We're broken artists with broken pens we paint our pride and we call it truth. Sorry, no one explained Jesus to you. And if you heard a knock on your front door And all that you found on the porch Was a pastor that just wanted to be right And if you really want to pray to him But you're never sure he's listening Cause who could forgive what you did last night I'm so sorry what you heard were broken poets with silly words. We paint agendas and we call it truth. I'm sorry, no one explained Jesus to you. And oh. Singers, broken songs, 
pain our pride and we call it truth. I'm sorry, no one explained Jesus to you. Sorry, no one explained Jesus to you. Sorry, no one explained Jesus to you. This is a personal one for me. I didn't put this in my notes, but I just felt in the moment of this song. Most of you know the story. You've heard my testimony or you've read the book. But this, this, this was my story. Those I loved the most those I trusted the most over and over and over again convinced me of these realities. And I raged against the world. <laughs> but God but God, at 18 years old, but God wrecked my life by sitting me in a four by six foot jail cell where a chaplain came and gave me my first Bible, but God. And he told me to read the gospels and I started reading the gospel, lo and behold, of John, John 10. And I came across that verse earlier, remember it? But the thief comes to do what? The thief comes to do what? To steal, kill, and destroy. And for the first time in my life, I realized that there was a thief and his name was Satan. But what I didn't know is that God was about to wreck my world because then I got to John 10, 10, part B. And the Bible says this, I have come that you might have what? life and have it more abundantly. Jesus was saying, listen, this is what Satan wants you to believe. But I've come, Jesus said, that you might have life and have it more abundantly. To which some of you might say, what do you mean he comes? What do you mean he came? How did he come? I'll tell you how he came. He came and he actually went to a cross where he died for you. He hung on a blood-stained cross for you. And when you will take your life and you will thrust it before the foot of the cross, Almighty God, will start to course correct, fact check, declare truth over your life. Truth that says, listen church, you are not worthless. You are not worthless. You are actually loved. You are a loved child of the most high God. 
who bled and died for you on a blood-stained cross. And in that very same gospel, John chapter 3, verse 16, for God, everybody say, for God. So loved, if you know it, say it with me. So loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever, look at your neighbor and say, that includes you. Whoever does what? Believes in him shall not perish, shall not die and go to hell, but shall have what, church? Everlasting or eternal life. Listen, you are not worthless. You are loved. And you're not loved because I say so. You're loved because God says so. You're loved because God demonstrated his love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ what? Died for us. You are not guilty, church. You are not guilty. You are actually forgiven. You are forgiven. If you know Christ, you are a forgiven child of the most high God. Can I get an amen? You are, and you might say, well, I don't, I don't know that I know Christ. All right. Why don't you come to know him today? You can walk out of here today with all of your sins cleansed, forgiven. You can stand before a blood-stained cross and see a love so divine, a love that sent his one and only son, and that by the blood of Jesus, you can be, what is it, church? Forgiven. You're not a failure. Come on, you're not a failure. You are accepted because when you get to heaven one day and you stand before Almighty God, if you know Christ, you do not stand there based on your own merits, but you stand before a holy, awesome God. But as you stand there, the Bible is crystal clear that God Almighty does not see your sin. Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father. And if you are in Christ, when you stand before God in all of your sin, Jesus, his son, is going to say, Father, she's mine. She received what I did on the cross. Father, he belongs to me. He has received the gospel good news of me. He's received what I went to the cross for. He is a beloved, born again child of the most high God. And it is here at the cross where God has once 
and for all settled the truth if you will only receive it today. 1 Peter 1. Can we read those few verses one more time like it is gospel good news? Ready, church? Go. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the what? From the empty way of life, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now, some of you might be sitting there going, I don't, I don't understand this whole lamb thing. What in the world is that all about? Just a few moments, let me unpack it for you. When you study the Bible, there's an Old Testament and there's a New Testament. There's an Old Covenant and there's a New Covenant. In the Old Testament, ancient Israel's way to experience reconciliation, redemption, forgiveness of their sins, it was very clear in the scriptures that there had to be blood shed. Why? Because as Leviticus makes clear, there's life in the blood. Some things are still true today. If you get in an accident, you get hurt, you bleed out, it's not a good day. There's life in the blood. So in the Old Testament, the way they handled that is that they would sacrifice lambs. I know it sounds barbaric. I know it sounds like, whoa, it sounds like Old Covenant, if you will. They would sacrifice lambs. They would find lambs without blemish, to the best of their ability, a perfect lamb. They would sacrifice the lamb. The blood from the lamb was declared over the people. The priest, some of you know this really, really well, would go into the Holy of Holies the day of atonement, and the blood that was shed from the lambs was the way in which they experienced forgiveness of their sins. Fast forward. It's as if God said, enough is enough. No more animal sacrifices. So he sent his son Jesus. Jesus came down from heaven as God's one and only son. For 30 years, he showed us how to live. At the age of about 30, he started his ministry. The anointing of God was on him. Not only did he show us how to live, but he went to a cross. When he came walking in John's gospel, John the baptizer looked at him and said, Behold, the what? Lamb of God, who what? Takes away the sins of the world. God was saying, it's done. The lies have been course corrected. The truth is among you. You are not a failure. You are not worthless. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are accepted in Christ and in Christ alone. Look at this verse. Read it out loud with me. Last verse of scripture, we'll look at Mark 16, 16 at the very end of Mark's gospel. Ready? Go. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So I've been praying, hoping, asking that God would speak 
words of truth over your life. And that from this day forward, you will tell Satan, get thee behind me. I am a loved, redeemed, forgiven, accepted child of the Most High God. Now, don't confuse me. We're not saying that you're accepted and anything goes in the rest of your life. No, 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 no. What we are saying is come as you are. Come as you are. Don't worry about all the stuff you're thinking about, the to-do Listen, You don't clean up to come to God. You come to God. Listen, listen. You come to God. You solidify yourself in this identity of who you are. You receive and believe that this is how much God has loved you. And then you just fix your eyes on Jesus. Continue to live into this identity. And God starts to transform your life from the inside out. Such that you start to live with a kind of freedom, a kind of joy, actually with an abundant life that starts here and now. This is who you are. This is who you have been created to be. And all you do is just you just receive it, you marinate in it, and then you just fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy before him endured the cross that you might know who you are. Pray with me, all heads bowed, eyes closed. Pray with me for just a moment. If you're a believer and you know the Lord, I want to invite you to just pray. Right now, just start whispering prayers to Almighty God, asking Him to move on our behalf, asking Him to sink this message deep in the core of who you are. Father God, I want to thank you for this gospel message. God, thank you that this is your message. No man could create such a gospel good news. Everything inside of us, oh God, wants to earn it. <laughs> thank you that you have declared that we are accepted, we are forgiven, we are loved when we find our identity in you and you alone. And if you're here today and the truth is you showed up and you've been living in the midst of these lies, you've been arrested, if you will, by the lies of Satan, declaring over you that you are worthless, declaring over you that you are guilty, declaring over you that you are unforgiven, And if the words of this message and the words of God's scriptures 
have just ministered to your soul, have just refreshed you. And something inside of you wants to stand before a blood-stained cross and in your mind's eye, just imagine a love so divine that God would send his one and only son to convince you of these truths, to save you throughout all eternity. As the book of Revelation would say, to write your name in the Lamb's book of life. That when you get to heaven one day, that God would look at you and Jesus would say, he's mine. She's received the gospel. And that God would look at you, Matthew 25, and declare, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. If that's you today and something inside of you desires that kind of relationship with God, that kind of course correction, that kind of freedom that comes from the one who has come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. If that's you, beloved, on the count of three, I'm just gonna ask you to lift up your hand. Eyes are closed, heads are bowed, but I'm, I'd like to make eye contact with you. The raising of your hand like any deed does not save you. Only the blood of Jesus saves you. But oh my, there's something powerful when we lift the hand toward heaven and say, I receive. I believe that this is really who I am. One, almighty God formed you. Whether or not you've believed it up to this moment or not, he formed you delicately in your mother's womb. If that weren't enough, two, he sent Jesus Christ who came with one clear message. I love you enough to die for you. Not only will I die, but the Father will raise me to new life so that if you believe in me, you too shall not die. But go to a place in eternity forever, a place called heaven. So on that third day, the Father raised him to new life that you too might experience abundant life. If you desire to receive him today, just lift your hand right where you are. Just shoot it up in the air. Just shoot it up, up high. Hold them up. Look at me if you will. I'd love to just make eye contact with you. You don't have to, but I see hands all over this place. Hold them up high. I see you folks in the back. I see you folks over here. I see ma'am, sir, in the middle. I see you. Six or seven of you here. Same back there. See you, in the, see you in the balcony, man. Praise God. I see you over here in the balcony as well. Just keep them up for a moment. Just say these words, if you will. Say, Lord Jesus, I receive. Lord Jesus, I believe that these words are true over my life. And then pray this. This is important. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Adopt me as a child of God. 
fill me with your Holy Spirit. And when I fall short, as I will, oh God, would you help me have a contrite heart? Would you help me confess my sin, repent of my sin, and then continue to live not in bondage, but in freedom? That in time, oh God, I would become more and more like your son, Jesus. I receive you today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Wow. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God.